Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello everybody and welcome along to this episode of La Liga Lowdown with me, you McTeer, as your host and with this episode rebroadcast on Sibius XMFC 157. This is a recap episode of Match Day 38 of the final round of the La Liga season and we'll start off with the new champions of Spain, Atletico Madrid. Congratulations to Diego Simeone and his team. They've been top most of the way and thoroughly deserved this title which they won and vied lead with a 2-1 victory. Once again, they made their fans suffer by going 1-0 down, but Angel Correa and Luis Suarez fired them to victory in the second half for their 11th Spanish Championship. Throughout the season, we've had Atleti fans Sam Leverage and Jeremy Barron on the podcast to discuss the team's charge towards the title. Now that they've finally done it, let's find out how they're both feeling. Here's uh, Sam's thoughts up first. This title means the world to Atletico and to Atleti fans. Walking around the streets of Madrid in an Atletico shirt on Saturday, people stop and congratulate you. Fans high-fiving and, and just starting chants as they walk down the streets. I mean, it means everything to Atletico because this is only the second time they've won the league this century, only the 11th title that they've won in their history. I mean, this isn't a Real Madrid or a Barcelona where winning La Liga is seen as kind of the obligation and anything else is a failure. For Atletico Madrid, this is really the pinnacle. It's a fantastic achievement to win the league and it doesn't come around all that often. And this time, I think it means even more. I mean, being Diego Simeone, the icon that is so valued, so identifies with the club's fans, for him to have done it in 2013-14 with all of the budget constraints and challenges and to then rebuild the whole squad. I mean, only Coque and Jose Maria Jimenez are still in the squad from back then and Jimenez only played one game that season. To rebuild that whole squad, even now with only half of the budget that Real Madrid have, and to win La Liga again is a fantastic achievement. And so many guys in the squad have such great storylines, Luis Suarez, Marcos Llorente, Kieran Trippier, and so many of them really identify with the club's fans that I think it makes it a really special celebration after the year that everybody's had with COVID-19 not being able to get into grounds. For Atleti fans to have something like this to celebrate, I think it means a huge deal. And I think the celebrations are all upped because of that. They haven't been able to take it in and celebrate every goal in the stands. It meant that at the weekend when the title was sealed, it was a huge celebration, a huge moment of relief, of joy, and just a recognition of what an incredible achievement it is for this Atletico side to win La Liga. Atletico side without superstars, without huge, huge, huge amounts of money. And they've done it. And for Diego Simeone, for every player in that squad, it's a magnificent achievement. And now here's what Jeremy Bernan made of the triumph. Probably the most impressive thing I would say about this Atletico side and their league triumph is that 
but they led the league almost the whole way. From match day 14 on, a period of five months, over five months, Atletico were atop La Liga. They bent, but they never broke. They buckled, but they never gave away first place on a more than provisional basis. Their lead always restored by the end of a given match day. And this Atletico side, without the pillars of years past, obviously Coke and Jimenez are the only survivors of the 2014 team, but no Lucas Hernandez, no Rodri, no Antoine Griezmann, no Thomas Partey. All those guys who were once regarded as the core of the next great Atletico side or sides, they were all gone. And a very quick rebuild, a quick transition, and Atletico are back atop La Liga. It's an incredible accomplishment, of course, to do it not once but twice under Diego Simeone. Not once but twice beating both Barcelona and Real Madrid to the title. Doesn't matter what state they're in. They still operate with a much larger budget and can pay players more than Atletico. So this is just, it's so impressive how Atletico did this for a multitude of reasons. The mental strength they exhibited throughout the second half of the season when things were going from bad to worse, it seemed. The Kieran Trippier ban, the COVID outbreak, Atletico overcame it all. And, and of course, they had to suffer right to the very end with back-to-back comeback wins. But they did it. They are champions, deservedly so. And we are celebrating. Yes, the Atleti fans are rightfully celebrating and savouring this. I live here in Madrid and I've seen so much red and white over these past couple of days, like Sam was saying, with fans proudly wearing their colours in the centre and some going to the Wanda Metropolitano on Sunday when the players were presented with the trophy. No fans inside the stadium, of course, but the players took the trophy outside with them for a chorus of campeones, led by Simeone, of course. Here's how that sounded. So, Atleti are champions, and how exactly did it happen? Remember, they went into the final day knowing that a win of their own at Valladolid or a Real Madrid slip-up against Villarreal would do the trick. Atleti's match, then, is the perfect one to have for our final sore throat game of the week segment of the season. We've got Uri Barlow coming up now to talk us through how the drama unfolded and how it was commentated on. Saturday night saw a feverish end to the title race as Atletico Madrid travelled to Valladolid with the Pucela in need of a miracle to stay up themselves. It seemed equally impossible that Atleti would let the league out of their grasp at this stage against a team with just five wins all season, the least of the division. But Atleti don't behave like other big teams and less than 20 minutes in, Valladolid and Oscar Plano, solo, found himself clear of the Atleti defence. Solo, solo, arriba, para el Valladolid, oh, no. posible mano a mano, la tiene plano, chuta, gol, 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 Casemiro in towards Benzema, Benzema with a header and Real Madrid have equalised and it's Karim Benzema with the goal, goal number 23 in the league this season, 30 in all competitions, 
And Real Madrid back on level terms with Villarreal. Odria Thola linking up with Casemiro. It was Casemiro's cross. Now mm. Benzema looks offside there. Then, less than two minutes later, this happened back in Valladolid. Anulado el del Madrid. Empate el partido. 1-1 en Zorrilla. Correa's sudden goal, narrated by Rubén Martín once again. You may have heard amongst it, Anulado el del Madrid. Almost simultaneously, Karim Benzema's goal was disallowed by VAR for offside as Ángel Correa danced through the challenges on the edge of the box before toe-poking at home. The title race pendulum swung back to Atleti, who were rewarded for a much better second half. Less than 10 minutes later, Valladolid's self-destructive tendencies stuck with them right to the end. Sergi Guardiola sent Luis Suarez through on goal. Es la Liga. It's the league, yelled Jose Rodriguez of Radio Marca. It was written that Luis Suarez, unwanted by Barcelona, would deliver the league title to Atletico Madrid. Just as it was that Atleti would suffer right until the end, securing the league title on the last day in epic fashion, just as they did for their previous three titles in 1977, 1996 and 2014. Cholo Simeone has offered another brilliant fairy tale for Los Colchoneros. Okay, thanks Ruri for taking us through those commentary clips and really bringing this final matchday triumph to life. There's so much more though for us to talk about in this episode besides what happened at the very top of the table. For example, Elche managed to avoid relegation with a special win over Athletic Club. We're going to bring you the lowdown on that at the start of part two. That's coming up after this short pause. Welcome back into this La Liga Lowdown episode, our final matchday recap of the season. We turn our attention to the relegation battle now. We already knew that Ibar were down and second bottom Real Valladolid had an almost impossible task as they needed to beat Atletico Madrid to stand a chance, which they failed to do of course. So it was really between Elche and Huesca, who were both level on points going into the final day, with Huesca holding the tiebreaker. And Elche stayed up in the end. Huesca could only draw 0-0 at home to Valencia. Elche defeated Athletic Club 2-0 at their home, in front of some fans too. Lucas Boye and Raul Guti got the goals that mean Elche somehow survived, even when most of us predicted they would come dead last when we did our pre-season predictions. So well done to them and to Fran Escriba. Let's bring in Elche fan Keith Farnan now to discuss this success. How tense was that viewing experience on Saturday then, Keith? It was 
very very tense i had both games playing at the one time i had the elche game on my television and then i also had the Wesker game on my phone and there was times when my eyes would flicker from one to the other and it would be a real heart and mouth moment particularly when i put my eyes onto the Wesker game and seeing them going forward there was a lot of a lot of moments that that really scared me but in the end uh we did it and i i can't believe it obviously we needed that massive favor from valencia but uh that they did they did it for us and actually when when they had the goal disallowed the the musa goal i was so relieved i went around my house running and screaming and shouting only to come back into the room to find out that it was actually disallowed and Wesker had one more chance to stick it in the box but absolutely very very tense there was a there was a lot of moments where i think we needed a bit of luck in both games and thankfully thankfully we got it Elche in their game really went for the win, didn't they? Maybe more than Huesca did. Yeah, we absolutely did. And it was very similar to the Cadiz game in that respect, in that we had to absolutely go for it from the from the first whistle. And obviously we did, and a very attacking move from Fran Escriba with uh, Fidel and Hassan playing win-back, uh, obviously both of them being wingers and just trying to create a moment by having players like that there. And obviously uh, that moment came with Fidel's brilliant, brilliant quick throw. That is just a moment that can make the difference and has done. Obviously led to the Luca Boye goal and then obviously the moment of the, the Raul Guti goal. The Elche just absolutely went for this game and we, we've come out with, with a brilliant win. West obviously went at Valencia and tried to win, but there was always that that uh, that look of tr- have to not concede, first, first of all. If they had to go at them a bit more with a bit more guile like Elsha did at Athletic Club, then maybe they could have got the positive result that would have kept them up. But they haven't, and we have. So um, we're staying up, and thankfully so. Yeah, do you think having some fans there in the stadium helped Elche then? Oh, absolutely. The fans 100% made the difference because they were just amazing even outside the ground, greeting greeting the players coming off the team bus and inside the ground, the chanting and the singing and the willing us on to, to fight and to win uh, for, for our place in uh, La Liga next season. And I think that was the difference between Elche and, and Wesker this weekend. Elche had the fans to back them and to push them on. You've seen the emotion after the, the Luca Boye goal and Raul Guti sprinting to the crowd when, when he made it 2-0. These are just incredible moments that everyone has missed in football. And I think Wesker not having fans behind them probably hindered them a bit in their game against Valencia. But I think the fans have really made the difference here. And it's just absolutely phenomenal to see them back in the ground. And I can't wait to be back in that stadium myself. Fran Escriba obviously came in and fixed this season for Elche. Just how well has he done since coming in? Well, you and you may remember on this podcast a few months ago, I did actually say that Fran Escriba was the man I wanted in because I simply just believed that if anyone was going to fix the dire situation that we had been left in, it was going to be him. And, well, of course he has done. And it's just absolutely phenomenal what he has done to this club. He's completely revolutionised us for a second time. This is This is why he is treated like a god in Elche. He is an Elche legend. For what he's done in the past to what he's done now, he is just the man that 
we will always look to and we will always appreciate as the man who took us back to the Primera Division all those years ago and has kept us in it this time around. And I, I'm just over the moon that he is our manager. Yeah, you did call that actually, Keith. I remember that was during one of your Almiron rants. Not only did you want him out, but you wanted specifically Escriba in. And fair play, that's exactly what they needed. Looking at the, the bigger picture of the whole season then, just how impressive is what Elche have done? Because when you consider the complications they had coming into the season with the very short summer, the tiny budget, everything, just just how do you sum this up? I just think it's absolutely incredible. This is just an amazing, amazing achievement. And I even think this is a bigger achievement than Atletico Madrid winning the league, which is obviously amazing for them. And congratulations to them on that amazing story. But everyone had Elche finishing rock bottom. There was no question. The last two teams that came up, having won the playoffs and finishing sixth, finished on 20 and 22 points. And for Elche to, to book that trend, Elche of all teams to book that trend, after the summer we had with the whole Pichetta situation, with the very little time to prepare for the season and the players that came in, the players that went, I just think it's an incredible achievement. And it it just really is testament to the club, to the fans, to the players, to the staff, to everyone there, that it's just an amazing club, an amazing group of people. And obviously this achievement is, for me, one of the biggest things that has happened in recent times, dare I call it a miracle, because genuinely nobody expected this bar a couple of us very optimistic Elche fans. So yeah, absolutely incredible achievement and I'm over the moon. Thanks Keith for that and congratulations once again on that survival. Really amazing stuff from Elche. Let's go to mid-table now and go to the European fight. We had Real Sofidad and Real Betis in the two Europa League positions going into match day 38 and Villarreal in 7th in the Conference League spot. Well, Villarreal lost their game 2-1 at Real Madrid and their rivals both won. Real Sofidad eked out a 1-0 win at Osasuna with Alexander Isak's 17th goal of the season and Real Betis came from behind to defeat Celta Vigo 3-2. That was an amazing game and we bring in Betis fan and Radio Betis contributor David Whitworth now. Even though the title race and relegation battles had their own storylines. This Celta versus Betis game might have been the most action-packed fixture of the round. How did you experience it, David? For Betis supporters, I think the the final game was very apt of a microcosm of the whole season in one match. A terrible start, two 0 down at half time. Villarreal winning as well. We were definitely against the ropes to make the Europa League, but in typical Betty's fashion, we never do the things easy. And we struggled and uh, suffered, and all the things that Betty's supporters know about the club was shown in that final game. And we had to play our absolute A game to, to come back and. Yeah, fantastic three points and obviously the significance of being in the Europa League is very, very special indeed. Yeah, so just how important is getting into the Europa League for the club? It's absolutely vital that Betis have managed to get the Europa League a place with all respect to the Conference League. 
a lot more money the club is going to receive for getting that place. Not only that, it's meaning that Betis go straight into the qualifiers, into the uh, qualification, I should say, the group stage in September. They don't have to do the qualifiers of the Europe Conference League in uh, August. They don't have to go through the playoff route, which completely would change the pre-season and how they go about that, which would be geared, up, obviously, for those two important matches. And the prestige of playing in the Europa League as well, playing against bigger teams in that category. So it's a huge achievement for the club. And who knows if it's possible to be able to travel to, to some of the matches, maybe at the back end of the year. But it's just a great fillet for the club to be back in Europe and for everybody to be excited over the summer to return back into the Europa League after three years away. Pellegrini called it a sensational season for Betis. Do you agree? What other adjectives would you put? I would completely agree with Manuel Pellegrini calling our season sensational because although we made a very, very good start with those two wins on the trot against Alaves and Valladolid, our form dipped alarmingly for the next two months. So to be in a position where at the end of November we were 14th to finish 6th and just those two win two defeats in 25 suggests that that run of form has been sensational. I would add two other adjectives to that. Hard working. The players have showed an immense veracity to work hard on themselves, to improve tactically, organisationally, and to heed the messages of Manuel Pellegrini to continuously improve game in, game out. And that's been proven as the season's gone on. You can see as, as the as season's gone on, Betis have become a strong unit. Certainly the defence have improved mark, markedly because we were one of the worst defences at the start of the season. And towards the end, we finished on the, the zero goal difference, which is a lot of credit considering that we were minus 15, 16 at one point. So a lot of credit especially goes to the defence. And another adjective I would suggest would be spirited as well. A lot of spirit, a lot of comebacks, like I mentioned, and a lot of togetherness in the camp to be able to perform when the pressure's been on as well. And in big games as well. Betis have shown that they're a big game team. And the difference between this season and last season is like night and day. Betis finished 15th last season. We finished many points above this season in 6th. And it's been a terrific season overall for for the club. OK, thanks, David. So, Real Sociedad and Real Betis go to the Europa League and Villarreal are off to the Conference League. Well, maybe. That depends on how they do in this year's Europa League final against Manchester United. Because if they win that, then they would go to the Champions League instead. So that's another extra dynamic to Wednesday's final. Let's have a bit of Villarreal chat now then by bringing in Villarreal USA contributor Alan Dodson. Your boys lost in the end to Real Madrid on Saturday, Alan, but Villarreal played a strong 11 and played really well in that game, didn't they? Yeah, I think Real Madrid, the match was uh, the first half I really liked. Um, I thought Villarreal played quite well. Um, 
and with about half an hour left, it looked like we were going to finish fifth in the league if results had stood, but that's not the way it worked out. Um, I think we were all expecting more rotations than we had, and there are two ways to look at that. I think one is um, that, sure, you'd like your players to be rested and uh, so forth coming into the match, but on the other hand, you also are... um, you're dealing with with um, people who are being hired, frankly, to to do what they do, and it's kind of like, are you? Do you really think it's best to rest your players and um, and or would you rather give them a run out against quality opposition before they face quality opposition again? And I think that's certainly how how um, and I, Emery, looked at it. Um, and um, he did make some substitutions um, around the, what, 65-minute mark or something that that I think you could interpret as being some, some resting things. But frankly, the match was a fairly... There wasn't a ton of energy in it <laughs> um, anyway, and so I, I don't think that... I think the main thing that I would have been concerned with was... Um, if if we if somebody had picked up an injury, um, which is always a risk you take, but then again you have to play the game because you play the game. You can't go out there worrying about injuring people. And I think the um, I think frankly for Villarreal they've always been trying to you know we've never been a team that that essentially looked at a match against Madrid or Barca or whatever and basically said oh yeah this is, we're not going to. We're not going to be able to win this, so let's just you know play our second second um, eleven. I mean, people were talking a little bit about maybe Emery would do some of that, and I think he even kind of um, hinted that there might be more rotation than there was. But bottom line, you know, you're we've never really done that, and so it nearly um, got us a result and. Unfortunately, results elsewhere meant that that really wouldn't have mattered. A few days out from it, how are you feeling about the Europa League final then? My thoughts about the final are essentially, I think, pretty close to what um, to what said in a couple of our podcasts, which are that overall you'd have to say Man United are a slight favorite, um, but and if if we were playing. Um, a rubber of 10 matches or something, they'd probably be favored to win in six or seven of those. But I think the fact that it's a one-off match um, makes it much, much more of a toss-up. I think the biggest question for me is that um, Villarreal, you know, if you look at the lineups, I don't think we're obviously worse in a ton of places. Um, but I think the Virial's optimism has to derive from um, Unai Emery's success in this competition over the years. Um, he's yeah, he's lost a final, but he's won a bunch. Um, and I think the question really comes down to: um, Can he manage the game in the way that he wants to? He certainly will have given a lot of thought to how he wants to play Manchester United. He'll certainly know them very well from his from his time in, in England. So I think it's going to be a match where both teams score. Um, that means that probably two to one or three to one 
final result um, unless we end up 1-1 and going to penalties or something. I don't hope I hope we don't do that. Um, will we win? I don't know. I hope so, obviously. But I think we'll give a good account of ourselves, and I think we'll compete um, pretty pretty well on the day. I just think it's great that we've finally, you know, this is the first European final we've ever made, and um, I'm sorry more fans can't be there, but I think we should just all enjoy the moment. Okay, thanks, Alan. I hope it goes well for you and all VRL fans on Wednesday. That'll be a big one, and we'll be covering it on La Liga Lowdown's Twitter account, so make sure you're following us there if you're not already. I also wrote a piece about VRL's European dream on LaLigaLowdown.com after attending the semi-final against Arsenal, so you might fancy a read of that too before Wednesday. Moving on now to discuss some of the other results of the match day, Barcelona and Sevilla both finished with 1-0 wins. In Barca's case it was away at Ibar, and in Sevilla's case at home to Alaves. That means that they stay 3rd and 4th respectively. On Friday night we had a match between two teams with nothing to play for in Levante and Cadiz, and it was a good fun match. They both threw caution to the wind a little, finished 2-2, but Levante's failure to win means that they end up finishing behind Valencia for the season. They were 14th in the end, Valencia were 13th, so that means Levante have still never finished a season higher than their city rivals, even in this year, where Valencia struggled so much. Then, in the only other match we've yet to mention, it was Granada versus Hitafi and it was 0-0 on Sunday. And unremarkable match that is only really noteworthy because it could be the last game for both the coaches for Diego Martinez and for Jose Bordelas. Let's see what the future holds for both of them in the summer. And that's everything then. 380 matches later, all the details of the 2020-2021 La Liga Santander season have been settled. Atletico Madrid are your champions and congrats to them once again. And thanks to Sam Leverage and Jeremy Barron for coming on and sharing their thoughts on that success. Thanks too to Keith Farnan, Ruby Barlow, David Whitworth and Alan Dodson. I've been your host, Hugh McTeer, and thanks a lot for listening today and all through the season. We really appreciate it.